here. Uh, meeting will come to order and the clerk will call the roll. Aldous Balday. Pete Arcelov. Carter. Cheeks. Clear. DeMarb. Eskridge. Gruber. Hall. Harrington McKinney. Kemble. Alder King is excused. Alder Palm. Fair. Rummel. Skidmore. Rosen Revere. Wood. Zellers. Aarons. This mayor we have a quorum. Quorum, we're in session. Uh, Alderman Revere, how would you like to start? Good evening. I'd like to uh, begin by welcoming UW-Madison journalism class that's joining us tonight. We had one at our last meeting, and we have another one tonight. So welcome to those students. Uh, I move the customary suspension of the rules. I formally move to suspend rules 2.04, order of business, 2.05, introduction of business, 2.24, ordinances, 2.25, resolutions, for items so designated on the agenda. Thank you. Is there a second? There is. On the question, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Alderman Revere. Thank you. Uh, I move adoption of uh, honoring resolution agenda item number one and would yield to Alderperson Kimball to read it. Motion. Is there a second? There is. Alderwoman Kimball. Uh, hey, if I had it, I thought maybe Alderwoman Eskridge might read it. Um, but I can read it. I'll read it. Yeah, I thought. No, go ahead. I thought. I really thought you were going to read it. What am I, a potted plant up yeah. here? Do you work this out between you? Thank you. Clearly, we are in overwhelming support of the following resolution. Whereas Indigenous Peoples Day began in commemoration of 500 years of survival and renewal of Indigenous nations in the face of genocide, colonization, political, religious, and cultural repression, and whereas the City of Madison recognizes that the Indigenous people of this hemisphere, that would later become known as the Americas, have lived on these lands since time immemorial and the city recognizes the fact that Madison is built upon the homelands of the indigenous people of this region. And whereas this indigenous culture was disrupted and destroyed in Madison, as in all parts of this hemisphere, and yet indigenous people have survived and continue to resist against current injustices and oppression. And whereas the city of Madison will continue to support indigenous nations' struggle for social and environmental justice, religious freedom, and tribal sovereignty. And whereas the city of Madison honors our country's indigenous roots and history and seeks with this celebration to bring greater understanding to the people of Madison regarding indigenous cultures and the enormous contributions that they've made and continue to make to our nation and to the city of Madison. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the mayor and the common council of the city of Madison does hereby affirm and proclaim that Monday, October 10th, 2016, will be Indigenous Peoples Day. Thank you. We have a number of, regist have a number of registrations on this item wishing to speak. Uh, the first one, Sierra Powers, who will be followed by Janet Zayas, who will be followed by Jesse Brown. Uh, Sierra. 
thank you for this proposal, especially when it comes at a time when protectors of the water at Standing Rock are forming this resistance camp of tribal nations from all over the world now, also uh, non-tribal people of all colors. While I'm not able to comment on this proposal specifically because I just heard about it today, I can say a couple of things about it that might be helpful to your thinking. Um, when the treaties were made back in history with these nations, they were sovereign, regular nations, and these little nations from Europe came in and made these treaties. They are solemn treaties made between nations that are under the Constitution, and they are still in effect. And here in Wisconsin, I cannot tell you how important these uh, treaty rights have been. These treaty rights give these nations a nation-to-nation -nation relationship with our nation, so technically they would be working with the federal level. However, there's one thing that we can say, and that is that the Madison City Council and the other local governmental bodies are neighbors with the Ho-Chunk Nation. And therefore, we, whoever we are, especially government levels, can work wonders with recognizing their right of consultation and working with them, having worked with traditional indigenous people for much of my life. I can tell you that working with them is both wonderful and mutually productive. Thank each and every one of you again. Thank you. Next registrant, Janet. It's on. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Janet Saiz and I'm a member of the Ponca Nation of Nebraska. However, I've been a resident of Madison for 47 years, even before Mayor Soglin was mayor. And I gave him my support because I liked his little radicalism. Um, I'm here to thank the city council and the mayor for recognizing the uh, struggles and all of the um, things that the indigenous people of this state have had to contend with. I think that uh, we've made a lot of progress. I continue to serve um, as uh, uh, on a, a educational council for the DPI, so I know what's going on like within the schools and things because I think it's important to serve your community. And I know that we will have continued struggles, um, not just for our resources, but some of the other things that we've, we've had to fight for over the, over the years. But I, I'm glad to see that um, the city has recognized the fact that we're here, we're still alive, and we will persist in standing up for those things that we feel are important for all of the indigenous people of the state. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jesse Brown, thank you. Hi, my name is Jesse Brown. Um, 
I am here, I am a full-blooded Mayan from Guatemala, and I've been in Wisconsin for about 10 years now. That being said, uh, one of the things that we struggle with the most in Guatemala is to keep our culture together as well as our languages. We have 21 Mayan languages that are fading slowly. So when this was brought to my attention, I had a sense of happiness that there are people who want to learn the culture of the natives that live here, that they want to be a part of the change and that needs to be done, not just environmentally, but to learn from one another and not just be in one society and one view. Um, so I want to thank, actually, Rebecca Kemble for bringing this to my attention. Um, I also want to just say that this is very important. Um, and the wording in this resolution regarding our environment, one of the things that we have to realize is that our environment doesn't just play into the natives. It doesn't just play into the people that have been here before or our ancestors. It plays into every single one of you in this room and every single one of you on this earth. There is absolutely no way that we can survive as a human race without paying more attention to our environment. So that being said, I want to thank each and every one of you and to Rebecca again for asking me here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, are there any questions of any of the registrants? Seeing none, further discussion on the resolution? Seeing none, we'll come to a vote. All those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. And the motion carries. Uh, Alderman Rivera. Thank you. I move to uh, refer uh, agenda item number two, a petition to the next Common Council meeting of uh, October 18th. Is there any objection? Seeing none, so ordered. Alderman Revere. Thank you. Uh, at this time, I presume there's no early public comment. We there is early public that comment. Came okay. In. Well, then very good. We'll that proceed came in to before you and I. After you and I discuss the agenda, okay. we'll proceed to early public comment. Then at this well, we have two of them. The first registration is Donna Tice. No address. Uh, agenda item 31. Opposing and wishing to speak. And Allison Bellburn. Uh, 31. Opposing. Wishing to speak. So I'm here to read a letter on behalf of Donna because her anxiety around this issue um, was so great that she was not able to attend to read the letter to you all tonight, um, but she really wants her story to be heard. Um, so I'm going to read, um, start reading this letter. This is from Donna. In deciding today whether to renew the MMSD contract with the Madison Police Department, I implore you to consider the following conclusion drawn from my family's experience at East High School. An educational resource officer ruined my granddaughter's life. Currently, my granddaughter is 17 years old and still scraping together a path towards high school completion that doesn't actually necessitate her going into a school because her severe anxiety won't allow it. She's been hospitalized, placed in treatment centers, psych wards, and now has a criminal record, and all of this could have been avoided if there simply had not been a police officer in her school. Although I can vividly recall the details of that day three years ago, the description I'm about to read comes from John Harper, the MMSD Executive Director of Human Services. 
John describes October 18, 2013, and what happened after my granddaughter, a student with a disability, became upset with another student and was left in an empty room with an educational resource officer. I'd like to note that unlike many students with BIPs, Leah was fully aware of her BIP plan and the steps needed to calm down. I quote, Ms. Theist asked the ERO to leave her time to think and calm down, consistent with her behavior intervention plan. The officer, however, responded that she couldn't tell her what to do. The school psychologist spoke privately with the ERO, letting her know of Ms. Theist's trauma background and that the school's response was to provide her with space and time to calm down, which had worked in every previous situation. The ERO was also apprised that it would be a good outcome if Ms. Theist were allowed to leave the building briefly and speak to her grandmother outside. In all previous situations, Ms. Theist calmed down within five minutes, then returned to academic activities. When the ERO went back into the room, Ms. Theist got up and stated she was going outside to calm down. The ERO then told Ms. Theist she didn't have that option and physically restrained her on the floor. The ERO was assisted by a second officer in handcuffing Ms. Theist. During restraint process, the ERO sustained several scratches, end quote. To make the rest of a long and painful story short, the ERO pressed charges on the granddaughter because of the scratches she gave her. Leah was never able to return to a regular school setting, and the rest of the year became a living nightmare. Despite all she had already suffered, never really returning home to her grandmother, unable to attend school, and her extreme anxiety, this ERO refused to drop the charges. My granddaughter was given probation and was forced to write an apology to her attacker. It's hard to describe the pain involved in watching a young loved one cascade into the state of mental anguish my granddaughter descended into after this incident. She had been doing well up until then, managing her anxiety with great success thanks to her behavior plan and her teachers, and then it was all shattered. What is the purpose of a legal document and if, it, if it is not honored? Like hundreds of other MMSC students, my granddaughter has social and emotional disabilities that are largely the result of past trauma. These disabilities are the reason that she had the behavior intervention plan that the officer in question treated with utter disregard. She reacted as she was accustomed to reacting in intense and conflictual situations. When she found that she was being thrown to the ground and handcuffed for doing literally nothing wrong, for doing exactly as she had been advised to do, her fight or flight response kicked in. I don't have an emotional disability and I can't say I wouldn't have reacted the same. Fighting back is a natural human reaction when you sense you're being accosted. But all of this is of zero importance when the police are involved. Our human instincts must be constrained for the sake of compliance. While this might be difficult for anyone, it can be next to impossible for someone with a trauma background. Yet the plans created to assist these students in a tense situation can be thrown squarely out the window when a police officer is involved. Our children's needs are of literally no consequence if that officer is unconcerned. The police have this power. Every action performed by the ERO who restrained my granddaughter that day illustrates perfectly why the police must get out of and stay out of our schools. Sure, there may be EROs who are kinder human beings than this one, but when the people supposedly tasked with protecting our children come from an institution, the operational and ideological foundation of which is to demand submission first and foremost, the most vulnerable will continue to suffer regardless of whether they come up against the bad cops or the better cops. It's the nature of the system. These children, like my granddaughter, are children who require accommodations. They are, in fact, legally entitled to them. These accommodations are rights that were bestowed only after a long and enduring fight by people with disabilities, determined to ensure their ability to exist and contribute in this world. But despite their hard-won and legally codified entitlement to these accommodations, these rights are superseded by the power of the police. Yes, the power of the police is more important than the well-being of our children. In other words, 
the police presence in schools is incompatible with a guarantee of safety for all students. The schools, as flawed as they may be, are on the other hand an institution that seeks to center children. They are required to make accommodations in order to maximize each child's opportunity to succeed. Thank you. You got farther than I thought. I'm going to finish this letter, Donna's letter. Um, so to reiterate, this is a student, a vulnerable student who was doing exactly as she was supposed to do, who was tackled to the ground and handcuffed by an educational resource officer who thought that he had a better plan for her safety. Um, sorry, I should have been following along a little bit more closely. The schools, as flawed as they may be, are on the other hand an institution that seeks to center children. They are required to make accommodations in order to maximize each child's opportunity to succeed. Again, I'll remind you that IEPs are legally binding documents. The police, however, by their very nature, do not accommodate. We submit to the police, not the other way around. The whim of an individual offended police officer who doesn't like a student's tone actually supersedes the rights granted our children by law. What sense does this make? What sort of rights are rights at all when they could be trampled by an angry officer with a gun and a badge? Who is being protected anyway? Tonight, members of the city council, I hope you'll bear in mind that my granddaughter could be any of our children. Honestly, how would you vote if this had happened to your child or grandchild? If you truly have the capacity to empathize, how can you vote yes to police in schools? Thank you. Thank you. That is all the early registrations we have on this subject. Other questions of either of the registrants? Seeing none, we'll now return to the agenda. Alderman Verveer. Thank you, Mayor. At this time, I will present the uh, consent agenda. So a consent agenda will be moved with the recommended action listed for each item, except items which have registrants wishing to speak. I know of nobody wishing to speak except for public hearing items. Two items which require an extraordinary roll call vote and are not included on the consent agenda by unanimous consent. And three items which all persons have separated out for discussion debate purposes. So I formally move the recommended action for each item on tonight's agenda with the following uh, additional uh, notations and uh, at least one separation. Uh, as we all know, agenda items 3 through 13 are public hearing items that are not covered by this motion. The following three resolutions will be considered uh, as extra majority uh, roll call votes uh, and unanimous votes in favor of each of the following. As they're all budget amendments, they do require extra majority votes. They are, for the record, agenda items 34, a resolution authorizing the Madison Police Department to accept public safety funds of up to $10,000 in 2016 and $25,000 in 2017 from the Wisconsin Department of Justice, DCI, Division of Criminal Investigation for Overtime Wage Expenses for Internet Crimes Against Children Investigations and amend the budgets accordingly. Agenda item number 36, amending the 2016 capital budget of the store utility in the amount of $20,000 in determining a public purpose and necessity, adopting a relocation order for the acquisition of land interests required for the construction and maintenance of improvements for a public sanitary sewer. Agenda item 38, a resolution amending the 2016 capital budget of the engineering major streets in the amount of $8,000 in determining a public purpose and necessity and adopting a relocation order for the acquisition of land interests required for the construction and maintenance improvements for a public street. The following 
additional agenda items will remain as part of this motion with the following recommend additional recommendations. For agenda item 58, uh, discussion item, overview of Town of Madison, final attachment. Uh, the recommended action as part of this motion will be to refer to the mayor's office, at which time it will be placed back on the council agenda when there is new information to share. Agenda item 60, uh, ordinance amendment, uh, changing the polling location for Ward 9. There is a substitute ordinance sponsored by Alderperson Hall that is uh, a part of this motion. Agenda item 66, accepting uh, report and recommendations of the Madison Public Libraries, Communities, Inspiring Libraries, a strategic plan for east side growth with additional referral requested by Alderperson Balde, uh, referral to the CDBG committee. Agenda item 81, a resolution authorizing the mayor, city clerk, and chief of police to accept the $700,000 Smart Policing Initiative Grant Award for Madison Police Department's Madison Addiction Recovery Initiative and amend budgets accordingly. Uh, additional referral will be made to the Board of Health for Madison and Dane County at the request of older person Zellers. And lastly, agenda item 97, which is a resolution authorizing the city to accept the $750,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention to address issues of youth violence in Madison's north side, uh, et cetera. Uh, that item will be, uh, as part of this motion, re-referred to the Board of Estimates. Lastly, uh, the only item that I know of that has been requested for exclusion by a colleague uh, is agenda item number 30, a resolution authorizing the mayor, city clerk, and chief of police to accept pass-through public safety grants from the Wisconsin Department of Transportation to be awarded to Dane County for alcohol enforcement, seatbelt enforcement, and the pedestrian safety, uh, and amend the budgets accordingly. So that w will be separated. Uh, I do have additional information as it relates to agenda item number 31, the educational resource officers contract. I'm pleased to report that the Madison School Board in a special meeting at 635 this evening did vote unanimously by a vote of 7 to 0 to uh, adopt the contract for the next three years. So consistent with the action, the recommendation of our Board of Estimates and uh, the resolution that will be a part of this consent motion agenda item 31. So the separations are public hearing items 3 through 13 and agenda item 30, the Police Department grant resolution. Thank you. We will then uh, separate all, all items except for 3 through 15, which are the public hearings, just to uh, make you note of that. And then when we adopt the balance of the agenda, it will be as recommended except for those additional referrals and uh, modifications to the referrals as described by Alderman Revere. I want to make a note that on 19 we have a registration from uh, Frank Peregrine supporting available to answer questions. 20 we have a registration supporting available to answer questions from Otto Dalba. Oh, Dilbert for Ale Asylum. That's not the last name. Um, on item 31, we have opposition not wishing to speak from Blaine Hansen. Uh, opposing not wishing to speak from Sarah Hinkley. Uh, opposing not wishing to speak from Erica Ramberg. Any other changes or modifications to that motion? There was a second. We'll come to a, excuse me, 
Uh, Alderman Rummel? Um, is there anyone here from staff who can talk about item number 31? Yes. I do have a question. I would like to... Uh, you want separation on 31? Very good. We will have separation on 31. Uh, anything else? On the balance of the report, though, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. The motion carries. Um, declare a hearing open on item three. Uh, liquor license at 5515 University Avenue. Recommendation of the council is to grant with conditions. There are no registrations. The hearing is closed. Item four, declare a hearing open on a public for a matter at uh, 563 State Street. Blaze uh, Teriyaki. Recommendation to the council is to grant. There are no registrations. The hearing is closed. Declare a hearing open on item five. A hearing for a license at six at seven eighty five University Avenue. Recommendation to the councils to re refer. The hearing will not be closed. Item six, declare a hearing open for a license at sixteen sixteen Belt Street. The uh, recommendation of councils to grant with conditions. We have a number of registrations available to answer questions, all supporting. Oscar Villa, Villarreal. Uh, pardon? He's right. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Maria Guadalupe Rosas. Are there any questions of the registrants? Seeing none. On item number seven, declare a hearing open. Excuse me, did I close that hearing? Just in case I didn't, we'll close it. Item seven, declare a hearing open. Uh, for a license at 6717 Odana Road, recommendation of the council is to grant. There are no registrations. Declare a hearing open on item 8. Uh, Fuego Steak and Tapas at 904 Williamson Street, recommendation of the council is to grant with conditions. We have a number of registrations. Uh, Jordan Wegner, Sandra Wegner. Uh, Oscar, as I mentioned earlier, and Cassandra Villarreal. Uh, any questions of any of those registrants? Seeing none. Uh, declare the hearing closed. Item 9, declare a hearing open for a license at 2005 North Sherman Avenue. Recommendation of councils to grant. With the hearing being open, there are no registrations. The hearing is closed. Declare a hearing open for 2045 Atwood Avenue. A license for Growl LLC. Declare, yes, that hearing's open. There are no registrations. And so we'll close the hearing. Item 11. I don't understand. It'll be in the motion. Okay. Item 11, uh, declare a public hearing open for a license for Washington Market, 640 West Washington Avenue. Recommendation of councils to grant. Hearings open and closed. Item 12, declare a hearing open for 505 State Street. Recommendations to council to grant with conditions. No registrations. The hearing's closed. 
With that, let's take a motion to uh, adopt the recommendations of the ALRC on items 3 through 12. Alderman Revere. Thank you. I move to adopt the report of the Alcohol License Review Committee with the, and their recommendations specifically for agenda item 5. Uh, excuse me. Specifically for agenda items 3 and for item 3, it would be to grant with conditions. For agenda item 4 is to grant. Agenda item 5 is to recess the public hearing and we refer to the ALRC. Agenda item number 6, grant with conditions. Agenda item 7, grant. Agenda item 8, grant with conditions. Agenda item 9, to grant. For agenda item 10, I'd ask for separation on that so that Alder Person Rommel can make the motion as the Alder of the District. Agenda item 11 to grant and agenda item 12 to grant with conditions. On the question, separation on any of the items, seeing none, all those in favor, aye. Ten will be separated. Pardon? Ten will be separated, yeah. yes. Come back to that. Opposed, no. Motion carries. On item 10, your motion, Alderman Rubble. I'd like to move a, a condition to the license to change the license hours. It's listed on the on your um, agenda item. Sunday through Wednesday must close by 10 p.m. Oh, and Thursday, and then oh, Thursday through Saturday. Excuse me. To, so your motion is to adopt with those conditions. Thank you, sir. Yes. Second. Thank you. And then at your table is an email from the applicant who has agreed to the conditions. Discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 13, uh, declare a hearing open on the 2017 Executive Capital Budget. We have a motion from Jason Cassidy, supporting the wishing to speak. We also have a motion from, excuse me, a registration from Adam Brad something, I'm sorry. Supporting that wishing to speak. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jason Casti. I'm the transportation co-chairman uh, for the Dudgeon Monroe Neighborhood Association, and I have a statement uh, that I'm reading on behalf of the Neighborhood Association tonight. Uh, the Dudgeon Monroe Neighborhood Association strongly supports Alder Eskrich's amendment to put the Monroe Street reconstruction back into the budget for 2018, and are grateful for your past support in past resolutions making this a priority for the city. We're asking that you once again support Alder Eskrich's amendment to keep Monroe Street in the 2018 budget. Not only does the Dudgeon Monroe Neighborhood Association strongly believe Monroe Street is a priority for 2018, but also the thousands of Madison residents, numbering almost a total of 3,000, uh, who voiced their concerns and ideas by taking the Monroe Street Reconstruction Community Survey that was a part of the outreach effort and planning that's already underway on behalf of this. Uh, please realize that the importance of Monroe Street to our neighborhood and the greater Madison community, the, uh, the distinction of a re-envisioned Monroe Street that includes enhanced pedestrian safety, better bicycle access, and an, an improved business district continues to be harnessed through the coordinated efforts of community involvement, including the robust public engagement process thus far, and further, the shared values of the Monroe Street stakeholders, including the engagement resource team, for a new Monroe Street suggests there is a public need not being met today on Monroe Street. Therefore, considering the momentum of support, including the community members outside of the Monroe Street neighborhood, Monroe Street is vital to all and should be slated in 2018. 
you as a city and, and we as the residents have worked hard in the past to make the Monroe Street reconstruction a priority. And we've engaged thousands of people to become involved in the reconstruction. We believe that the current momentum will result in a project that results in more than just repaving. It will result in improvements to the environmental impact of the street, pedestrian safety, multimodal transportation, and placemaking aspects that have been key areas for our efforts to date. To have the project delayed yet again will be a big setback in the efforts already put forth and likely will result in a lack of participation uh, for future efforts if this were to be delayed. So again, on behalf of the Dudgeon Monroe Neighborhood Association, I encourage you all to support Alder Eskridge's amendment to put Monroe Street reconstruction back into the budget for 2018. Thank, Thank you. you. Are there any questions of the registrant? Seeing none, that concludes our... Is there another hearing on this item or is that it? There's some. So the hearing should not be recessed, but referred to, is it our next council meeting? No, November 14th. November 14th. No objection, then we will recess the meeting until November 14th. Declare a hearing open then on item 14, uh, approving plan specs and schedule assessments for the installation of traffic signals at Mill Point Road in Yellowstone. The hearings open. There are no registrations. The recommended council is to adapt under suspension, and that will. So we refer. The recommendation of the council to adapt. Recommendation staff requests re-referral. I'll, 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 I'll move to recess the public hearing and yeah. refer the uh, resolution to the board of public works. Second. Motion is second. On the question discussion, seeing none, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 15, declare a hearing open on an item for plan specs and schedule assessments for Woodrow Street Reconstruction Assessment District. Recommendation of councils to adopt under suspension. There are no registrations. Is there any reason not to close the hearing? It will be closed. Alderman Verveer on. 15, we need adoption under suspension. I move to adopt the report of the Board of Public Works and its recommendation, which is adoption of the resolution. Do we need a suspension first? I think the, the suspension motion at the beginning of the meeting covered it, didn't it, City Attorney? Okay. Yeah. Then with adoption, is there a second? There is. Discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, aye. 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 Motion carries. Are there anybody opposed? Okay. It still carries. Uh, does that take us to 31? 30. 30. 30, authorizing the mayor and clerk and chief of police to accept pass-through public safety grants from the Department of Transportation. Is there a motion? Move adoption. Is there a second? Hello? Second. Discussion? Person Kimball. Alderman Kimball. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I pulled this off of the agenda just for the pedestrian safety aspect of this, and I'd like to ask um, either Lieutenant Knight or anyone who's here just a couple of questions about that. Um, so what is this 25,000? What activities are planned for the, this funding? For the, um, the grant, we haven't uh, been, it hasn't been pushed out to us by the state yet, reference, if you're talking about pedestrian grant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it has been pushed out to us, but uh, what activities will be, we will probably be having um, starting probably November 
um, for a couple of months and then we take a break and come back in April. But we're talking about um, deployments um, of probably four to five officers and um, doing some pedestrian safety uh, enforcement. And so what, what is your assessment of what, what are the biggest issues for pedestrian safety in Madison? Well, the biggest issue that we're seeing, I have seen over the last two years since I've been in this unit, is that we have a lot of uh, individuals in the city of Madison that drive and uh, don't pay much attention to the pedestrians in the roadway. Probably don't have the, uh, uh, in terms of the education, in terms of uh, crosswalk, what they're supposed to do at crosswalks when pedestrians are in crosswalks. So we try to do a little educational piece with that also. Okay. And how do you... Um how do you decide which issues can be addressed best by your test team officers and which are maybe more design issues for pedestrians? Do you guys talk about that around pedestrian safety? Like if you're seeing certain intersections where there are crashes or injuries? We have worked in the last year or so, worked with uh, UW um, in doing some types of some educational and enforcement work. Uh, we do talk uh, in terms of um, we, we're pretty much geared by what the state re uh, recommends for these grants. They do have some uh, some things that have to be done in terms of the grant, in terms of enforcement. But we have been trying to do some stuff with the UW uh, Police Department um, and the state and trying to uh, do some educational pieces also. Okay. And is the, do you, how do you measure success of your efforts? Do you have, you know, data or things that you look at to say, oh, this was a, this program was successful? Well, we don't have, I don't have any data here at, at, at this point, but um, it's something that we can, we can look at and um, see as we, go, as we go throughout the year. I guess I'm asking, what would you look at? What would, what would you look at? Not what is the data, but what would you look at to measure success? Can I speak? Yeah, sure, one? please, anyone. Captain Bach. Okay, if you're speaking specifically to the pedestrian yeah. safety grant, um, you know, we, that's been around a few years now um, in Wisconsin, and I would say in Madison, people are not very well educated on the laws that require motorists to yield to pedestrians in crosswalks when it's apparent that somebody is either in the crosswalk or attempting to step into the crosswalk. There have been a lot of efforts uh, in the city to try to educate people whether it be through the media or other means. Uh, the flag system at the crosswalks was an attempt to, uh, to get people to be very visible as they try to cross, to get people to yield to them. That has had some success, uh, but even I think that has had motorists fail, fail to yield. You know, primarily I think this is a, an effort uh, in downtown Madison, although we have done it in the Monroe Street area where there's been problems with the pedestrian safety and a lot of cars that travel at higher speeds. But this is really an effort to educate motorists that there are laws in Wisconsin that are very clear that you must yield to pedestrians in crosswalks. Now, we have generally used a tactic where we'll put a plainclothes officer, we'll try to dress him in very bright clothing, and there are uh, standards set up by the city attorney and the municipal court as far as how far away you know, the car needs to be in that type of thing, and we have those types of standards that we apply. But uh, we generally, what we do is we'll put an officer out there um, in a crosswalk where we've had complaints from citizens 
alders, maybe pedestrians have been hit, school children, crossing guards, or whatever. And those are the areas that we will target. And although most of the time we'll write a citation because um, you know, it's how we gain compliance, but there are times that there are warnings issued. We work with the media. They've taken uh, news stories on it and such um, to try to get it out there. But it's really a combination of education, enforcement, visibility, and then working with traffic engineering or city engineering, you've seen the signs yield to pedestrians and the crosswalks that they put out in some of the center of the roadways and things like that. So measuring success, I guess that's kind of a difficult thing to do, but I think measuring success is if we see people in Madison yielding to pedestrians more often than not when they come up to crosswalks. And I will say, at least in downtown Madison, I see that more often than I did several years ago. So I would think it's successful, and obviously the state has, has determined that this is a priority and something that needs attention statewide because these are not just grants we get. There are other municipalities and counties that get them as well. Okay, so I guess I'm asking more than just anecdotal like we, what we see, but are there, do you keep stats? And I heard you mention complaints, that you get complaints. and. Do you log those? Do you look at where crap, pedestrian crashes happen and focus yes. efforts there? Do you, deter, do you analyze that based on the, how the intersection is configured? Or I guess I'm looking for not just we see, but like what is the underlying data supporting that? Well, we get complaints from uh, alders, citizens constantly. I mean, Monroe Street's a good example. There's a lot of... We, we hear a lot of issues down there with pedestrian safety. A lot of people are concerned about not only the trying to get across, but the speed of the vehicles. So we hear that at uh, various locations around the city. Our crossing guards, we generally uh, get complaints from them and try to, whether it's pedestrian safety or school zone speed safety. Um, and then we do look at crashes, uh, you know, where somebody's been hit or uh, where there's near misses. Um, so it's not just haphazard. You know, we do target areas that um, we believe, for whatever reason, whether it be complaints, crashes, uh, or, or that type of thing, where there is a problem with vehicles not yielding. And I think it even goes beyond that. I think it's vehicles not yielding where there's a dangerous situation, whether it be to, um, you know, children trying to cross maybe bicyclists trying to cross, um, or just pedestrian traffic in general. But we do keep complaint logs, not only of pedestrian you know, complaints, but of speeding complaints, red signal violations. We do keep those logs, um, and they're, they're provided not only to our test team, who actually takes the lead in these grants, but to uh, our districts as well. Okay. Thanks, and thanks, Lieutenant Knight, for being here. And uh, I think Assistant City Attorney Marcy Paulson wished to add something too. 
Yeah, I just wanted to let you know that when the tickets are issued and they come to municipal court, Arthur, Arthur Ross has a pedestrian safety class that he offers to everyone. And so anyone that comes into court is given the opportunity to go to the pedestrian safety class and have their citation reduced. We hold those cases open, and for the 15 years I was in prosecution, no one received another citation once they went to Arthur, Arthur's class and talked to the Madison police officers. So I think there, was, there is success documented in other places also. Thank you. Did you wish to add something, Lieutenant Knight, also? Okay. So, so add on to what Marcy said. Uh, the officers are, the lead officers in these grants are instructed to let the, let the officers know, to let folks know when they do get these citations that there is that opportunity for them to go to court to get an opportunity to go to that class. So we do let individuals know that on these deployments. Thank you. I believe we have some further questions. Alderperson Gruber. Just have a brief comment. Thank you all for the discussion. Okay. Um, just want to thank the police department. I, I had a request from a constituent to do some enforcement of the pedestrian yielding for pedestrians, and police department came out at Whitney Way and South Hill, and I forget how many citations they issued in one day. I think it was like. 12. 27 or something, a big number. So thank you for that. And so I was just going to mention to my colleagues that, you know, request uh, enforcement if you uh, hear of places. And also you have your blogs, your newsletters, you remind people to slow down and, and stop for pedestrians and also with your neighborhood uh, newsletters. That's another uh, opportunity to remind people of that. I, I think uh, people often just forget to look out and, and, and slow down and stop. So if we can help with the education, let's do what we can. Thank you. Thank you. Over person Eskridge. Thank you. I similarly have a comment. Rebecca, um, Elder Kemble brought up a good point about um, physical infrastructure as well. And so the only point I would add is that whenever there is a change around street design or traffic engineering installs a new pedestrian enhancement in my district, I always make a point to let my captain know so that MPD knows that something has changed and so enforcement can then um, be coordinated with any new enhancements, whether it be a slowdown of a speed or a new bump out or a new um, traffic island. And that's a good way to kind of parallel those changes because sometimes the most influential thing we can do is change the actual design of areas. So thanks for bringing that up. Thank you. The motion is to adopt the resolution, Alderperson Balde. Yes, I just have a follow-up question too. So when you are doing this enforcement, do you, when you stop these people, do you give them the option to either go to class or you give them a citation and come to court and that's when they know they have the option to go to the class. So what, what, what do you tell them when you they, they're, if, they're going to get a, if they receive a citation, they're normally told, they're told by the officer who gives them the citation, hey, they always give them the, you can go to the class, you can go, you go to court, and uh, the judge will give you an op the option of going to this class in order to uh, get the, the ticket dismissed or reduced or something to that effect. And they get the option right away just to go to class without having to pay any they have to go to court they have to go to court the judge is the one who makes that decision do you have any further questions no? no thank you thank you both so the motion is adoption further discussion seeing none those in favor of the motion to adopt the resolution will say aye, aye. opposed no motion carries
That takes us to uh, agenda item number 31, a resolution authorizing the mayor, police chief, and the city clerk to sign a contract with the Madison Metropolitan School District to provide educational resource officers for the four MMSD high schools for a three-year term through the 2018-2019 school year. Uh, Alder Person Romo, could I have a, start with a motion, please? Moved and seconded. Second, to adopt the resolution. Thank you. And I believe, Alder Person Rommel, you had questions. I, I did just have a question based on the, the testimony that we heard. Um, and I don't know if it's, it's not necessarily germane to the contract, but I'm just curious if somebody who's here could talk about um, IEPs and how a, a plan like that, a student-specific plan, how that meshes with the the work and the responsibilities of an ERO. If somebody had that information, I would. I'm just interested in learning more. Okay, we we do have the city's negotiators here with us, Captain Brian Ackert and the Assistant City Attorney Marcy Paulson. I believe Captain Ackert wishes to address your question. Yeah, I'd be happy to answer that. It, it actually is uh, some of the language we added to the contract this year to allow the school district to share those behavior implementation plans with our officers. I believe it was done, but now it's in, in contract to allow that to occur um, legally. So the EROs at each of the schools um, are informed now of, of the plans and um, certain things that work well with students that, that have special needs. And the, obviously the teachers in the rooms that know that. It's shared with the officer. The plan is shared, and, and we uh, work with that plan as best we can. Thank you. That, that's very heartening because of what you know, we learned about. So it's very distressing, and that one of the things that this contract would allow um, our, our police staff to at least have that information to, to act in ways in concert with the plan for students. So I appreciate learning that. Thank you. Thank you. Next is older person fair. Thanks. I just want to ask a clarifying question on that. So the, the BIP, the Behavior Implementation Planner Intervention Plan, which is probably a school district thing, that is what you're talking about, would be shared with the police officers? That is correct. But That's the IEP would have to have parent authorization, I assume, to be shared with the police officers, which is the individualized education plan. Pretty sure as a yeah, teacher. I just, I'm, on that one. I'm just familiar with the contract language and the BIP okay. allowing that to be shared. And yeah, I just want to make it for the public that that would be something that parents would have to authorize that sharing with the police department. As best to my knowledge. Thank you, older person McKinney. Thank you very much for the follow-up question because that was exactly my question related to the um, IEP because the. Um, uh, tonight we heard of uh, the uh, treatment of a young woman who had an IEP and the horrific things that happened related to her. And so uh, that was my question specifically, does this contract include the IEP? And the clarification is, is that not necessarily so, that the um, education resource officer would not have access to what that IEP language would be without the parent's approval. Is that what I'm hearing? Is that confirmation? Captain Ackert or Alderperson Fair again? Do you have anything to add, Captain Ackert? I don't know the exact language on the... I can't confirm that. Uh, I'm not that familiar with that particular law, but I do know that speaking with Luis Udesi, the 
the coordinator of safety and security that, and I know it's in the contract, that allows some information on, on special needs students' plans to be shared with the police officers, and I'm confident that, that those plans are shared by the school staff as appropriate and as legal. And I'm, I'm very familiar with particularly uh, a student at East High School that works with Officer Zuma Franco, who does at times have um, issues with anger management that's built at the plan is shared with Officer Franco, and she actually walks with him outside of school and around the block to allow him to calm down to get to a place he needs to be able to concentrate and learn. She's aware of that through the plan that was shared, and they've, they've had uh, success in implementing that plan on a, a few occasions. So as a clarifying, um, because the uh, public comment specifically addressed the granddaughter who had an IEP, and so for, for our clarification, could the ask be whether IEPs are included and what are the conditions that would include an IEP? Because from what I'm hearing is, is that um, uh, the granddaughter who was accosted by the ERO would not have fit within the guidelines of the new contract because she has an IEP. So could you just clarify that because that's a question that I have. I'm not familiar at all with the circumstances of that 2013 incident. I'm very sorry that it occurred. I don't have the, I'm not familiar with that specific incident. Um, and in terms of the legal release of information and dealing with IEP, I'm, I'm not, I can't comment on the legality of that. I would yield to Alder, Alder Fair's uh, comment that that requires parental consent. Um, that's the best I can answer that question. I believe that Attorney Paulson has something to add to, so. But just that that contract specifically says that whatever the school is authorized to share legally with us, they will share legally. I mean, we're not, unfortunately, we don't know all the rules and the laws regarding the school and what they can share, so we defer to their discretion. When they're able to share the information, they do share it. So whatever they're legally able to share, they would share. And uh, I believe Deputy Mayor Reyes has additional information to respond to the question as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, the IEP is the um, educational document that will not be shared with the officers. It's just the, the BIP um, information. So um, that other information will not be shared. Thank you. Uh, Alderperson McKinney, do you have further questions? No? Okay. Thank you. Alderperson Bidar? Um, are we still have questions? Um, I have yeah. no one else wishing to speak. I so. have questions, actually. Okay, so. very good questions. Um, so thank you. I just wanted a little bit of the description from the negotiating team as far as the next step um, that's outlined in um, the contract as far as the staff team meetings with the school um, to try to better define um, and understand both um, how we are um, collecting data on interventions by EROs um, and sharing that data and also kind of really looking more closely at the fit of the role of the current role of EROs, understanding it better and its fit within the school. So how, you know, how much, what's the next step for that? I think it's really important for, the, for certainly the public and for us to understand that that's an integral part of this contract different than what we've ever had before. Um, and so just can you explain what the language of the contract says? I've read it, but again, 
it would be good for the public to understand it better. And what's the concrete next step? Like, what are you going to, let's say it's a, the contract is approved today, what, what's the next step? Sure. I can I can address that in that the contract language, um, which we basically solidified many of the things that we currently are doing with this partnership with the school district and the EROs, in that it, it spells out, though, that we will have a working group of equal number of police representatives and school district representatives, and I see that as um, perhaps myself, but I, I certainly want to include the EROs themselves, a representative of, of a few of the EROs, and the school staff I see perhaps the, the coordinator, Mr. Yusey, as well as uh, some of his school staff, the principals or, or guidance counselors, people that are involved, um, that we sit down and meet and strategize on best practices that we, we are learning across the nation in terms of we are all in, on the same uh, goal here of seeing schools as a safe learning environment and doing whatever we can to keep kids in school and in the classroom. The um, school district and the school discipline policy has been a, a adapted to with an understanding of trying to keep kids in school and we as the police are in complete agreement with that goal and do whatever we can obviously ensuring school safety dealing with any dangerous situations and weapons in the school and then see our role as not that of a, a disciplinary role we are there to to uh, be a positive presence hopefully establish positive relationships with students um, not in crisis and uh, we're, we've been in, in working on this relationship for, for many years and each year it gets better we sit down at on, uh, in regular meetings and look for continuous improvement and, and I expect that to continue it's probably best to be more formalized and, and in the contract we're in total agreement with that Dr. Person Bidar can I make a comment and then yield the microphone that way I don't have to go back. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so I, I just want to make sure that um, as a member of the Committee on Education, which is the one committee where we um, have our colleagues from the Board of Education uh, with us and Alder Ferry is the current chair of the committee, we have talked about um, the role of EROs, and I would really like to have um, kind of a formalized way for us to be able to get regular updates on the work that's being done, not wait in two years to be whoever is here in this, in this chamber to like talk about you know what happened and the contract, but really to kind of get those updates on a regular basis. And I'm sure um, all, all the fair as the chair of the committee can work out the details of how frequently, but I do think that that would be a very appropriate place because then um, we can have both of our Board of Education colleagues and us hear the, the updates um, and, um, and kind of follow um, what's going on. So I, I would really want to encourage us to, to use that venue to do so. And I, I also think it's, it's important because I, I think there's been a lot of interest um, from residents to really um, be involved in, in the conversation around the role of the ERO. So I think, again, having it come more on a regular basis to a committee where there is, you know, again, public um, testimony will be really important and in ensuring transparency of the information. Thank you.
older person Balde. So, um, this may not be in the contract that you agree with the school district, but um, I was just wondering, say for example, uh, the situation that two ladies just explained. When a situation like that, like that happens, do you have an internal process to look at that situation and uh, either bring in the officer that was involved or just recommend better practices so that things like that do not happen? Captain Ackert. Yes, and actually it isn't written, in, written into the contract that um, at the Madison Police Department we have a use of force um, standard operating procedure that has to be followed by all officers that use any force anywhere in the, the city on, on duty. And it, it's written into the contract that the Madison Police Department use of force standard operating procedure will be followed, and that standard operating procedure requires the officer to um, report any use of force not only in their police report but to report it immediately to a supervisor who then completes another use of force report review um, that is automatically sent a copy of that to the training section for a review of the incident and training officers who are use of force instructors will review that each and every use of force incident we now have a use of force sergeant Sergeant Kimba Two, who started last month, who will also be part of that review process. He works in this building in conjunction with Internal Affairs um, Professional Standards. So we do look at every use of force incidents. We look at contributing factors, officer decisions, and look look for obviously was it authorized, was it appropriate. If not, it's handled handled by Internal Affairs uh, investigators. If it's also looking at just tracking, training, and other other techniques and options. So, so yes, and every time force is used now, we and that we do have a quarterly report on all use of force that is reported on our, our website. If you look, uh, we've got the first two quarters of this year. Every use of force incident has been reported um, in terms of type of force and the demographic information involved of both the officer and the the person involved. Um, so, um, in the event that, say, for example, after a review of an incident, you realize that this was really breach of, you know, uh, protocol. You know, obviously, clearly breach of protocol. Do you have an internal process where you replace that ERO with somebody else, or once the ERO is assigned to a school, that person is going to be there until the end of the contract? I'm not sure if I understood your first part of the question in terms of a use, a use of force violation. Is that what you... No. no. Violation of protocol. So when these people are assigned to school, obviously they are expected to follow certain protocols, whatever those protocols are, either follow what the contract says or something. What I'm saying is after a review of a situation like the one that this young lady just explained happens, and you review that, you realize that the ERO really violated certain protocols, you know, either based off of your training or what the contract says. Do you still let the ERO continue to work at that school, or you have the internal process to replace that ERO with somebody else? I can answer that in terms of it's a hypothetical and that um, clearly if there was a use of force concern where an officer was found to be in violation of a standard operating procedure, that would be on a case-by-case -case basis in terms of the, what would happen with that particular officer 
in terms of a disciplinary track, and I can't comment on that. There's, there's factors involved there. But clearly, if we have officers that are in violation of our use of force expectations and are getting sustained violations of procedures, there's definitely a, a mechanisms in place to remove them from their current assignment. If that's not an appropriate assignment, there's other mechanisms of removing them, suspension, and if it's if it's uh, appropriate, the chief can seek termination. It all depends on the case-by-case -case basis and the, the egregiousness of the offense. Thank you. Thank you. Over person fair. Thank you. I, I just wanted to make a comment um, and, and really congratulate or thank, I guess, the negotiating team. Um, I'm happy that we could get this resolved. I'm happy that we could um, work together with the board and we can join the board and approve this. I mean, I assume we're going to approve this contract tonight. Um, I think that the re there's been good reason for this uh, in some ways. I mean, I think for this uh, stalemate, um, and that's because people are concerned. And we've heard that on the education committee. We've heard that, obviously, in this chamber in different forms. So, um, and I, I think that's why the board, you know, not to put words in their mouth, but just from my perspective or judgment, is they're, they're wanting to make sure that we are, um, you know, do, doing best practices and, and, and making sure that uh, this program is achieving what it's supposed to achieve. Actually, I think they're asking questions on what is this program supposed to achieve, and that's something that I think we need to continue to think about and ask and demand answers. And so I take Alder Bedar's point seriously, and we'll... Um, We'll look into that for the education committee, um, but I think it's it's good that we could we could get this um, agreed upon. I think there is some accountability for the public um, that we are going to look at this, continue to look at this seriously, um, because there there's nothing to say that there isn't better there aren't better models out there or there isn't uh, ways we can tweak this and make it better and more responsive. So again, uh, I think it's a good day for us in this case and uh, once again thank you to the negotiating team thank you alderperson Romo. Um, yes thank you um alder fair and others who spoke in i just wanted to um, weigh in also um about the questions about next steps it seems to me that we were able to find a way forward considering we have heard a lot from the public or at least I've heard a lot from my public um, about raising concerns about what is the role of police in schools and questioning whether, you know, anyone's safer. And, and then the school board wanting to have that conversation, yet also balancing that with, you know, planning and budgeting and those kind of things that, that we also have to look at. So I think this is a kind of a way forward to, to do both and to honor both sides. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, say as far as Alder Bedar's point is, not only will the education committee be looking at this issue and broader issues, so will the, you know, the Madison Police Department Policy and Procedures Review Ad Hoc Committee and the CCOC Subcommittee on Police and Community Relations. So um, I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that we're all engaged in the, a very broad conversation about racial justice and, as, and then police as part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Alderperson McKinney. 
Um, yes, thank you, Walter. Thank you, Chair. I wanted to add the Public Safety Review Committee as well. And what we're saying is that we're all paying attention. And I believe that the um, larger, broader community that came and spoke with the concerns of um, uh, racial disparities and all of that, what we're saying is, is that, um, yes, we are quite pleased with uh, where we are, that um, this contract is uh, finally at a point where we can both on both sides agree. But what it really, the message really is, is that we are paying attention. We must pay attention. And the Public Safety Review Committee will also be paying attention to this contract as well. Thank you. The motion is adoption of the resolution. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, those in favor of the motion to adopt will say aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Are there any items to be introduced from the floor this evening? Seeing none, are there any announcements besides, of course, wishing our colleague Alderperson Kimball a very happy birthday today? Happy birthday, Rebecca. And uh, may I have a motion to adjourn then? It's been moved. Is there a second? Moved and seconded to adjourn. Those in favor will say aye. Opposed, no. We stand adjourned. Thank you all.